right. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, we're in midweek service uh, on our July 6th, and uh, we're going to be in the book of Philippians. Uh, been a few weeks since we've been there. I uh, was obviously out last week, not feeling well, but uh, still got a little bit of the residual cough from the um, from the allergies that are going that I get, but uh, we'll we'll make it through, and we're going to be in chapter four. And uh, we're going to be right around that uh, verse uh, 8 where we left off. <coughs> Excuse me. But let's go ahead and pray uh, before we get started. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. I thank you again for an opportunity to study your word. And Lord, I'm just uh, <coughs> thankful that uh, you've diligently preserved uh, your word for us, uh, using it, Lord, to teach us and to guide us and instruct us and direct us in every way of life and specifically here about thought processes and uh, your mind that we're supposed to have. And I pray, Lord, that we would just keep that uh, thought in, uh, in, in our heads that, Lord, we would uh, desire to please you and honor you with uh, everything that we say and do as well as what we think. And, Lord, we know that that's the origination of action and words, and we just uh, pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would just have his work in our hearts this evening as we continue this study. I pray, Lord, you'd be with my voice and just speak through me. And again, Lord, I thank you for all that you've done for us already in the great week that we've already had starting off. And these things I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So here we are in Ecclesiastes. Wow. All right. Philippians. There we go. Philippians chapter 4 and uh, verse 8, it says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So obviously, God gives us the mentality of how to think. He gives us these instructions about exactly what we are to be thinking about. And if it doesn't fall into any of these categories, the the inference is true that, that we shouldn't be thinking about them. So when we get into a point where we're, we're thinking about things that we ought not, we have to go through the process of going through and asking, okay, are these things meeting these qualifications? And, and again, this is, this is where it, it takes a purposing and an endeavoring and, uh, if you will, a good diligence in our life to follow through with this. And what I mean by that is it's something that, that when a thought pops into our head, we often just let the thought be there. We don't run it through any filters. We don't, we don't do anything. We just let that thought exist in our head rent free. And we really need to stop it and say, okay, do you meet all of these qualifications? You know, when when you have a, a country that wants to be secure, they secure their borders. And they stop people and they say, who are you? Why are you here? What is your purpose? How long are you going to stay? Uh, you know, get the background, find out all these things. Because again, they want to be thorough in who they are letting into their country. They don't want to just let everybody or anybody in. They want to make sure that who comes in is somebody that is not going to do them harm. Now, the same thing is true that when we have thoughts that arise in our hearts. 
When they come and they, something may come of our lust or may come because we've got sin there or may come because of something else that's affecting us or we're simply not following through on God's will, then we have to go through the process of starting and saying, okay, is it true? Is it honest? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it going to be a good report? And we go through those and we line up and we ask this question. But he gives us a couple of additional filters. And if you will, these are the primary filters. And at the last part of this verse, he says, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise. So sometimes we can think about things that are true, but they're not necessarily something that is going to fit the first two. Or excuse me, these two filters. Now, something that is true is we can think of something that is a sin that is, if you will, true. It's not necessarily lie, because if we do this, this is going to happen type mentality. And we have to ask ourselves, okay, is it going to fit through those other two filters? So people will go through and they'll they'll try to justify certain things, and they'll try to say, well, it's it's mostly honest. Well, mostly honest is not honest. It's just not. If it's 99% uh, uh, true and 1% lie, it is still deceitful. Um, you know, again, when we were talking about peer and we're talking about unadulterated, free from corruption, as far as our thought processes, it has to be 100% pure. And again, you know, the analogy is if somebody gives you a glass of water and they say, well, it's 99.9% pure, you're like, well, what's the other? And you're like, oh, I don't know. I sneezed in the glass. And you're like, oh, wait, hold on a second. I think that's a little bit more than, you know, 99. Let's, you know, no, I want a new glass. Well, you don't see anything in it. There's nothing there that's, you know, visible. And, and again, you know, it's, it's that mentality. And, and we, we, we look at that. And when I was going through in, in college and I was taking microbiology, it's amazing how one little bacteria can really ruin your day. If it's in the wrong spot at the wrong time, it's going to make a mess of your life. You know, somebody's sitting there and they're preparing your salad and then they, like this, and they continue preparing the salad. That's not a good thing. Because if that bacteria is in here, which is, if it lives in there, it's totally fine. It gets anywhere else in your digestive system and you're not going to have a good day. You're not going to have a good night. The next couple of days are going to be really rough for you. But what we look at here is when we're talking about all of these filters, there's two primary filters or of these things that we're supposed to be thinking about. There's two primary filters, and it starts off with virtue and praise. <clears throat> virtue and praise. So this is, this is, again, a double check to say, okay, I'm thinking on these things, but I need to make sure that I'm thinking about it the right way. Not just thinking on these things, but I'm thinking about it the right way. So virtue is obviously, it, it, it's kind of like, if you will, the standard of righteousness. It's, it, it's, a, it's a, a thing of worth. It's a thing of value. Um, and, and we really have to, to, to ask ourselves this question when we look at this. And it says, if there be any virtue. So if something is virtuous, then it means it's worth something. As an example, turn over to um, Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31. 
And in verse 10, it says, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. And it goes on and it lists these qualities of this, uh, this virtuous woman that's in here. Well, again, this virtuous woman, let's understand who she is. She relates to the woman that's also related in Proverbs chapter 8 and Proverbs chapter 4, wisdom. So what we find here is in this, in this specific passage, it's saying that she's valuable. Her price is, is, is far above rubies. So we understand that there's a value that's there for, for something that is virtuous. So when we look at our, our thought processes, when we begin to analyze them, we have to ask ourselves this question. Is it worth thinking about? Is it worth thinking about? <clears throat> Sometimes people will offend us in this life. It happens. Uh, if you go through this life and you never offend and you've never been offended, please, again, write a book. Let us know how you did it. Because it's just, it just happens. You know, people don't intend to do it all the time. Some people do and they're malicious, uh, in their, in their nature and they try that. But at the same time, when we think about this, you know, people offend and say something and they may say something that just either just rolled off their tongue and they didn't think about it. Sometimes you just have to let those things go. And sometimes you're just like, eh, not a big deal. Because again, we have to, to, you know, to, to analyze it. Is it really worth thinking about? If we sit there and we, 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 we sit there and if you will ferment upon it and we just get it to the point of where we're producing all this extra air and all this extra gas about it, the end result is what? We're going to be in, in, in a situation where we've magnified something that is really a bunch of nothing. We've inflated it beyond what it should be because we sat there and we fretted and we worried and we're like, well, do they mean this and they mean that? Okay, well, that, you can't live that life. You, you do that, you'll drive yourself absolutely mad. So that what you begin to do is you begin to say, okay, well, it's true that they said that saying, but I can't judge motive and I can't judge heart. I can't judge anything of that nature. So is it really worth me thinking about? Is it virtuous to sit me, to sit here and ponder that? Or would my time be better spent meditating on the word of God? So we begin to realize really quickly what our thought processes need to be. What they're supposed to be thinking about. Where they're supposed to, 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 to go in line with, with, with Christ. I mean... I really don't think Jesus Christ sat there and when they started calling him, you know, basically a child of the devil and, uh, you know, demon possessed and, uh, if you will, uh, an illegitimate child and all these things. I don't think it really bothered him. What bothered him was the fact that their hearts were hard. That he became upset about. He was angry about the hardness of their hearts. That had a greater effect. But when it came to those things, it wasn't that that wasn't the biggest issue. There's other things that you need to think about. So we, as we look in the, the rest of it, the second part of that filter, it says, if there be any praise. So here's the next part of this. So we're sitting there thinking about things that are true, that are honest, that are just, that are pure, that are lovely, that are of a good report, 
then the, the natural response is that these things should be worth giving God praise. They're virtuous. And we also should ask the question, can we give praise with this thought? Can I give praise with this thought? He says, look, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, he says, then you can think on these things. So the question is, can we praise God with what we think about? Now, obviously, you can't praise God if you're thinking about sin all the time. That, that, that's a, I mean, that, that's a given. We can't think about, uh, uh, or excuse me, we can't give God praise if, if the, the, uh, the, the root of our thought process is bitterness, as an example. We, we can't sit there and, and think about, uh, giving God praise in any way, shape, or form with our thought life if it is outside of God's will. So we begin to ask these serious questions. In, in my thought that I'm having right now, is that something I could pr- give God praise about? If God was to hear the thoughts, which he does, they were to be audibly, you know, spoken and, and written down in front of us, is that something that would be praiseworthy to God? Can I praise him with my thought life? So when we start talking about first, or excuse me, second Corinthians chapter 10 about bringing every thought into captivity, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is how we fulfill what he tells us, <coughs> excuse me, over in second Corinthians 10. This is how we go about that process. We start with this, these thoughts. If they don't fit in here, they have no business being here. Because remember, the theme of the book of Philippians is the mind of Christ. If we can't have the mind of Christ and we can't be, uh, uh, um, you know, congruent in our thought life with other Christians in this manner, then there is a problem in our heart. We have to analyze it. We need to make sure that we get the Holy Spirit in there, the Word of God. We need to start saying, search me and try me and show me where there's iniquity. Show me where there's something that is wrong. So we have to engage in this this very frequent behavior. If it meets that, then it is a thought that we can have. Because again, anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God any, any high thought, and if you will, go over there to 2 Corinthians 10 and just see that, that, that passage again, just for reinforcement. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. <clears throat> Casting down imaginations. The images that we put up in our minds and in our heart. Casting them down. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing to captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is the, this is the thought process. This is how we fulfill Romans chapter 12 with the transformed mind. And the transformed mind, again, isn't just something that's just gonna, you're gonna wake up one day and ooh, now you've got a transformed mind. Transformed mind starts with every single thought. Putting effort into every single thought. See, we are so familiar with just living in automatic that that we really don't even know how to operate manually. 
I mean, you know, it's ridiculous. Nowadays, you know, it's one of the greatest car theft deterrents. Manual transmissions. They get in there and they don't even know how to drive them anymore. They get like two or three blocks and they abandon them. It's ridiculous. People look at it and go, there's three pedals. What do I do? You know, they they start freaking out and they're like, how do I get this thing into gear? Where's drive? All I see is one, two, three, four, and five. You know, what do I do now? They don't, again, the same process with us. We get so familiar with just this, okay, I'm just going to let this naturally happen, quote unquote, and I'm just going to kind of get into that rut of the thinking process. And then we wonder why it's so hard to get out of that rut of the thinking process. Why? Because it's foreign to us. It's foreign. It's foreign to stop. And then when you, right before you have a thought, and, and, or you're in the middle of the thought and sit there and go, wait, hold on a second. I got to run it through the filter first. Somebody's going to look at you and go, what? What are you talking about? Hold on. I'm running it through with a filter. You know what? I'm not going to say that because I can't give God praise in it. Like, what? But you know, that should be a natural thing. To us, that's abnormal. To God, that's normal. And while it seems like, well, that's a lot of effort that I have to put in. I get it. Because we have a lot of thoughts during the day. But we have to bring them into that captivity. We have to have that transformed thinking so we're not thinking like the world. And here he says, here's how you do it. You have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ are these things that we see here. And this is what's necessary. If you look at verse 9, going back over there to... um, Philippians chapter 4, he says a couple of things here. He says in verse 9, he says, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the peace of God shall be with you. Now again, here is one of the greatest verses that you can ever have and finding where it is in the context of this chapter. People are often looking for peace in their life. Christians are still looking for peace. They may have peace with God, but their heart is unsettled. It's, it's fretting. It's worrying. It's, it, 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 it's not fully trusting the Lord. It's not trusting his faithfulness. It's not looking at the things that God has already done in their life that proves that we can trust God, that we can have a confidence in his faithfulness in our, in, in our lives. He's the one that's faithful. That's his name. His name is faithful. He says, faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. He's the one that's working in you. And it makes perfect sense that he's still, even in this same area, in this same chapter, we have one of the greatest verses that we often use. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Verse 13. But what we find here in verse 9 is a great principle of the Christian life. It's not just thoughts. It's doing. Here he is saying, okay, these are, these are the things that you need to think. And if you're thinking along this line, then the result and the natural action is you will be doing the will of God. If you follow these things right here in, in verse 8, and you turn around and you do them, 
you will be in the will of God. This is the mindset. And here, and look, Paul's using himself as an example. He, he's lived an exemplary life and he says, look, hey, I, I, these are things that you've seen me do and you've seen these actions in me. What did he do? Take a look at this and you look at this passage. He says those things. Talking about the things that are above, the things that are in this passage. And he says very clearly those things which ye have both learned. You know what he did? He taught them. He taught them. He sat down and he taught. Meaning that this is not a natural process that's just going to come like this. It's something that has to be learned. How many of us, we just sat in the driver's seat of a car and we immediately ought to just, I mean, we knew how to drive a car. How many of us took a couple of bumps and scrapes to get there? I'll never forget when my mom decided she was going to teach my brother how to drive. She had an old 1980 Pontiac Sunbird, um, and it was a manual. And she was teaching him how to, to do manual, and he got a little confused on the, the brake pedals, and she was trying to tell him to, to slow down, and he didn't quite get it right. And next thing you know is uh, the one of our uh, neighbor's um, uh, brick mailbox uh, holders or whatever posts and things you want to call it, uh, took the brunt of it. Now, amazingly, that car, there was hardly any damage on it. Probably because, it, again, it was back in the day when things were made of all steel and there was no crumple zone in it. <laughs> so it hit that thing and it completely destroyed it. Just, I mean, obliterated it. So the insurance company paid all of those things. And I just remember my mom coming home and my brother, he just walks in the door and he just walks past me and I'm like, uh-oh. And my mom just has got this wide-eyed look in her and I'm like, what just happened? And she's like, he wrecked the car. I'm like, what? I go out there and I'm like, there's nothing wrong with the car. What are you talking about? But, you know, there was still damage to it. There was still stuff that went on. He didn't learn naturally. There was, there was a lot of bumps and scrapes along the way. The same thing is true when we start talking about these things about thinking. This is something you have to learn. You have to put effort into it. It's not just going to come by osmosis. You have to learn it. Now notice the next thing that is part of this, as it's being taught to you, and you're sitting there thinking about it, and you're wanting to learn it, guess what else you have to do? You have to receive it. You actually have to receive it. Now, there's many times that we as Christians, we don't receive things. I mean, there will be stuff that gets taught and, and, and we'll sit there and we'll go, oh, yeah, that's good, that's good. And we'll learn something, but it's never actually received in our heart. Why? Because we continue in the same processes. We continue in the same processes. If we continue in the same footsteps and the same uh, pathways that we're going into that are not matching what God tells us to do, we haven't fully received what God is teaching us. The Word of God requires a receipt. We actually have to just willingly accept that and take that and say, I'm going to receive this into my life. Somebody sends you $1,000 in the mail 
and you don't ever pick up the mail. They sent it. Did you ever receive it? It's in the mailbox, but you never received it fully because you never took it, opened it up, and deposited it into your bank account. So no, you never did receive it. So here he is saying, look, the things that we get taught, the things that we will learn, we also have to take in and make sure that we receive them. This is part of the, the knowledge, understanding, and wisdom when it comes to instruction in our lives. The whole book of Proverbs. There has to be a receiving of it. You have to receive correction. If a person can't receive correction, there's a problem with their heart. It's known as pride. If a person cannot receive instruction, there's a problem with their heart. It's known as pride. Pride, man, pride is the biggest thing that we will face in our, in our life. It will keep so many of the benefits of the God and the blessings of God away from us. It's ridiculous. Just by, by, by culturing and promoting that thing of pride, which again, God clearly states in Proverbs 6, he hates. Considers an abomination. <clears throat> but this is stuff that has to be received. Has to be heard. And also, seen. He said, these are things that he taught them. Now, he's reinforcing this because he wants to make sure that they're not getting taught by anything else or any other doctrine that's out there. But he's saying, look, these are things that you've heard from me and you've also seen in me. This is the concept of conversation. Conversation should be seen and heard. Meaning that there's a certain way that we behave ourselves in a conversation but it's not just the words that we're having on a conversation. Real true conversation, according to the word of God, that definition, it means that our actions are going to match what we are saying. Also, what is in our heart. So there is no duplicity. There is no feigning. And there is no hypocrisy. God wants to make sure that our conversation is Holy, meaning that what comes out of our mouth and the actions that we do are going to match clearly what's in our heart. There is nothing worse than having somebody and believe something totally different in their heart, but say and do something outside of that. That is that's a hypocrite. That's hypocrisy. That's the Pharisees' mentality. They were sitting there and teaching all of these things to these individuals. And Jesus Christ said, whatever the Pharisees teach you, do it. But just don't be like them. Why? Because they were clean on the outside, but the inside was still filthy. Because in their hearts, they still had the, 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 their own God themselves lifted up in pride, sitting on the throne where Christ should have been. That was the issue. That was the problem. So here we see very clearly, he's saying, look, I've given you an example. This is what you need to make sure that you're doing. Things that are learned, things that are received, things that are heard, things that are seen. All of this, you need to do it. Don't be a hearer only, but be a doer, James says. Because look at what happens. And the God of peace shall be with you. Now, we obviously know that God is the Prince of Peace. 
He brings peace. That is one of his titles, Prince of Peace. So understanding that concept, understanding what a Prince of Peace, what, what Prince of Peace he is, that he brings that, that we can have peace with God, or a, a reconciled life, as he talks about to the church at Corinth. Very clearly, we see here that this God of peace, as he's called, is going to be dwelling with us if we are simply going through these things and doing them. If we are applying this, if we're actually using it. Now, now God is, is a great God of peace. I mean, I, I, there's no other way that you can have peace except with righteousness. So let's just think about that for a minute. With, with, with sin in our lives, you'll never, ever, ever have peace. As long as the sin still exists, peace is going to be far from you. Now, you might be at peace with God, but I guarantee you, you'll be fretting in your soul, and you'll be, uh, if you will, very burdened in your life. You'll be weighed down. You'll wake up and just go, oh. Why do I, why is this just this, this oppression upon me? You know, look, it's not demonic oppression. It's oppression that we bring upon ourselves because we're not at peace with God. We haven't, we haven't come to the conclusion that we need to start changing our lifestyles in, 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 in a way that matches His Word. And he says, look, the God of peace shall be with you. Now we understand that God is never going to leave us nor forsake us, and we understand that. But here he is, he's specifically calling him God of peace. As that is the gift and the benefit that he's bringing, the blessing. And when we have that blessing in our lives, things are a lot better. We find it as a part of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. We find that it is, it, it, it's truly given only through righteousness the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We can only find it very clearly through him. Without it, we're, we're just not going to have peace. We're not going to have peace. Somebody sits down and they start talking to you and they say, I, I just, I don't know, I just, I just can't seem to get at peace in this life. I'm just, you know, just so much going on and I'm just, I'm just so worried and just so much is there. And well, is the peace of God, is the God of peace dwelling with him? Are they, are they in his house? Are they dwelling with peace and, and having that in their lives? Well, it starts off with the thought processes. And then it starts off with what we've learned. Are we doing it? Have we fully received it? We've heard it. We've seen examples of it. Now it's time for us to do it. It's an obedience. I want you to go back over there to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to see something. Here Paul's very specifically saying, you know what? If you learned it, you received it, you heard it, you've seen it. You need to obey. You need to obey. And he says here very clearly, he says in verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Christ was very obedient. He fulfilled the will of God, the Father. 
He very clearly fulfilled the Father's will. He came to do the Father's will, is what he said. It says he was obedient even unto the death of the cross. That's the mindset of Christ, as we've seen throughout the book of Second, uh, 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 throughout Philippians. But notice here what he says in the next verse. In verse 6, he says, In having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. When's the last time you took vengeance out on your disobedience? Like, I don't even know if I could ever say I did. (laughs) I mean, you know, so many times we want to get back at somebody. Somebody does some, uh, man, there was this, I don't know what it was. There was this Audi uh, S8 today. He was flying through Ridgefield and he was weaving in and out of traffic on I-5 and just, I mean, just absolutely. One of those drivers that you're just like, he's irritating. Just because he's got a fast car, all of a sudden he just decides he's got to show off on the road and, and be an aggressive driver. And I'm just sitting there going like, man, wow. Whew. You know? I'm not going to outrun him in my little Kia, so you know I'm not going to chase him down or anything of that nature. But you're like, man, where's a cop when I see you know when you when you want one? And I'll never forget. There was one time I was coming back down from Seattle, and I had this Ford Taurus, and I was going through Fife, and I was doing the speed limit through Fife, but I was also in the far left lane, and I was passing cars. Because very careful, because if you know anything about Fife. Fife is a state trooper speed trap. That's all that town exists for. You drive through there and there's always a state trooper there. There's always a state trooper. And I remember this, this, this Ford Taurus was right on my tail. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, I finally pass the cars that I'm getting ready to pass and I move over into the next lane and she takes off. And she's got to be doing 80, 90 miles an hour. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, does she even know where she's going right through Fife? She's going to get, she's going to get a ticket. Sure enough, I come around the bend and there's blue lights. And there's a trooper there. Guess who he's got pulled over? I didn't laugh. I didn't smirk. I just remembered. God saying, hey, don't do that when your enemy, you know, something befalls them. Don't do that. You might remove his hand of judgment. So I was like, mm, I'm not going to do that. I was just, I took it as a note, as a lesson. I said, man. But I say all that to say this, is we get so angry sometimes about other people and we want to seek vengeance. We want revenge. And it becomes the thought of our heart. And it becomes something that just we dwell upon. And we want to, to inflict as much pain or more pain upon that person than they've inflicted upon us. We live in a day and age where vengeance is, is, is just, I mean, it's just given. But God says vengeance is His. Not ours. It's His. Because we get emotional in our judgment. We're incapable of discerning sometimes. We don't exercise righteous judgment. But here he's giving us an opportunity to execute some revenge, you know, some vengeance. 
and that's upon ourselves. When's the last time you sought to revenge disobedience by doing that which is right? There's the mentality. You, you, you stop there and you think about it for a second and you go, you know what? I just did something that was sinful and wrong. I shouldn't have done that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out and I'm going to do something for the Lord. I'm going to go out and I'm going to pass out 500 tracks. I'm going to go out and I'm going to go, you know, do whatever it is. I'm going I'm to go serve God. I'm going to do something. Not to do away with it. Not to make up for it. But as he says here, he says, look, when your obedience is fulfilled, then you have revenged it. And you know what that begins? It begins to begin build a process in your life where rather than going through that process of, you know, revenging things all the time, you start moving into a different mindset of where it becomes a natural response of, well, I'm not going to do that because I know that's a wrong thought. I'm not going to think about this because I know that that's not going to bring God glory or praise. So I'm not going to say or do or think anything that's going to be contrary to him. Therein is that mindset. That's when you start getting some real peace in your life. This is when you just start thinking back and going, I really don't have anything to worry about. I, 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 I trust my Savior. I trust my God. Um, worrying isn't going to do... Worrying has never accomplished any objective ever. But it's action, doing, and thought processes which is exactly what God wants us to do, but again, in a way that meets with what he says. Going back over there to, to Philippians chapter 4, he begins to point out some issues with some of their thought processes that they've had. In verse 10, he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have, uh, ye have, uh, well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, here, here's an interesting thing. The, the church at Philippi had a very unique thought process. When it began to grow, they asked something of Paul that none of the other churches had asked. Let's go down a little bit further here. I, I want to kind of jump down a little bit uh, um, in this. Um, as he says here in verse 15, now you Philippians uh, know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Nobody asked about it. Ephesus didn't, but they... They weren't necessarily in Macedonia, but the other churches that were in that area, they didn't. 
These guys did. They wanted to know how God wants us to give and how God wants us to receive. Now again, you can put anything and everything in there. This isn't just talking about money. This isn't just talking about uh, um, you know things uh, in a financial sense, but it's also talking about of themselves. It's talking about, uh, um, and we find that obviously with some of the gifts that were given of uh, the um, the churches, and we'll, we'll find out a little bit more about how they gave of themselves first. And what he's talking about is they were in deep poverty. He said they're lacking opportunity, and the reason that they lacked opportunity is there was a financial restriction upon them. There was a problem. They didn't have necessarily to give. So whatever it was that they did finally give, it was something that was just received. And again, it, it doesn't matter what exactly it was or how much it was or or whether he, they gave, a, you know, two, two chickens and, and a dog or whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter. But what, whatever it was that they gave, it was pleasing to God. That's the issue. But he, he kind of upbraids them here a little bit because he also noted this. And if you will, you go back over to chapter 2 and verse 30. Talking about Epaphroditus. And it says that in verse 29, receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service towards me, toward me. Whatever it was, they had failed. There was something that was lacking in their Christian life. There was a service that was missing. That service that was missing, Paul noted it, and he's not really beating them up over it, but he is pointing out that somebody else came and made themselves sick to fulfill, or to, excuse me, to fill a gap, to fill a hole. To fill a need. And notice he says service here. Now again, whether it's financial or whether it was something that was uh, physically related, we're not we're given the details in regards to this, but what we do wind up seeing here is we wind up seeing something specific that they failed in that regards, and Epaphroditus just about killed himself to make up for it. And that's why he said, you, you need to hold that guy in a reputation. Not, not lift him up, but realize he cares about the work of the ministry. He cares about Christians. And we find that as he begins to go into this, in this chapter, after he's already talked about some individuals that were having some difficulty getting along, talking about the mind of Christ, talking about being uh, of the same mindset, making sure that they're praying and all of these things, and then getting the, the thought processes and getting the doing down, he now gets to this point of where he says, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord in this because you guys actually did start learning the lesson. You had a realization that what was going on was not godly. Because look at what he says here. He says in verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly 
that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. At some point in time, their care waned. Their care waned. Now, I will tell you, being raised in a Christian home, being in church for most of my life, I will tell you this, you see a lot of things. And you see a lot of what we refer to as burnout. Every single pastoral conference that I go to, I always hear this one thing. And you know what that one thing is? Be careful of burnout. Be careful of burnout. Pastors have a tendency to burn out. They try to take on too much. They try to accomplish too much too quickly. And most of the time, the burnout happens because they've relied too much on themselves and not enough on Christ. I've seen it time and time again. I've seen pastors just sit there and they, they just get so frustrated and they just, they're like, oh, I just, I'm not successful. I'm like, what do you mean you're not successful? You, 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 you've been at it for decades. Yeah, but I, I just, I can't seem to get a congregation above 30. I can't seem to get a congregation above 50. Well, maybe that's all God's given you. Maybe that's all God wants to give you for your flock. Maybe that's all you can handle. <laughs> and it's not saying that, that, that other people that, that have larger flocks, that they can handle more. They just may have more people to help with it. You know, you take a look at a church like Treasure Valley Baptist Church, several thousand people in attendance, massive auditorium. You walk in there and you get lost. I went in there to preach a, a, a series or a conference for for Brother DeMichael. I got up there on that stage and I think it was, all I could think of is I'm going to puke. That's a lot of people. <laughs> I'm sitting there looking at it, you know, it just goes back. And, and it gets to the point of where as it goes back, the faces get smaller and smaller and smaller. And there's just these little pin dots of people in the back. And you're just like, uh-huh. Well, it's only God that does it anyways. It doesn't matter whether it's two, 200, or 2,000. It's God's word anyways. And he's the one that handles the situation. So it's the, it's the, Lord, help me prayer. <laughs> it's the Nehemiah prayer right before you get up there to speak of just whatever it is. It's the, the groanings that cannot be uttered. Of <laughs> and you're just, but you look at that and, and you know what? Pastor Michael's always warning everybody of burnout. Why? Because he's faced it himself. I remember a point in time where, where, um, brother Rick Sowell, who used to pastor Hope Baptist Church in Toledo, Ohio, it's now, um, taken over by John Marshall and he's kind of the pastor emeritus over there. But, uh, I remember he was talking about that and, uh, how he would, uh, he got to a point of where he just was so burned out. He would just come home from, from Sunday and he would plop down in his chair and he'd just flip on the TV and just not even have conversation. 
didn't even matter what was on. And, and I dare say that, you know, when we look at life in general, it's not just pastors that burn out. These guys had something that happened that caused them to wane. That caused them to, if you will, stop providing the service. To, to stop caring at some point. And it's interesting to see that the theme throughout the book is the mind of Christ. And I will tell you, physical burnout isn't necessarily the biggest issue. It's spiritual burnout. Mental exhaustion. A burdened heart and a burdened soul. And it weighs down. And look, that's not just for pastors. These guys weren't pastors. I want you to understand that. These are individuals that at some point in time, the church had a spirit kind of, if you will, descend upon them where it just seemed like they didn't care. Now, there's a lot to be said about the good things that the church at Philippi was doing. But as with every church, Paul points out, and here he is with the utmost grace and compassion. He didn't have to slap him around like the Corinthians or the Galatians. He didn't have to say, oh, foolish, you know, Philippians. He's being very, very delicate with them. And why is that? Because Paul was sensitive to them. He cared about them. And when he comes to this point, he says... He rejoices now that they're beginning to serve again. They're beginning to care again. And it's not just a care, but it is being careful. I mean, we obviously know there's verses that talk about be careful for nothing. But here he's talking about they were careful, meaning that they had a tremendous care for the other saints. This was the church in their poverty. They decided that they were going to collect something to give to the churches over in Jerusalem that were suffering persecution. And even though they didn't have it, they gave out of the abundance of their poverty so that the other people would have something. They were true servants. But but I want to warn you that if our thought processes derail along the way, we will get to a point of where we don't care. We will get to a point of where it's just, we're punching a ticket. It's a time clock. We wake up in the morning. We sit there and we go through all of our stuff that we're supposed to do throughout the day. Barely functioning. You know, operating off of some sort of, you know, multiple high dose caffeine high. You know, and and then we finally come home and we just, you know, we we veg out and then we're getting ready for bed and we punch the ticket, lay down and hopefully try to sleep. Which obviously sometimes escapes us if we don't have peace. But here's the issue. It comes about the thought process. 
I want you to go back up two verses to verse 8. And I want you to think about this. He says, if there be any praise, if there be any praise, I'm not sure exactly what happened with the church at Philippi, uh, at Philippi, but, but, but the Philippians had an issue where something had caused them to not do what they were supposed to be doing, what they had committed to, what they were, had done at the beginning. Something had slipped. Something had fallen away. Obviously, Epaphroditus was trying to help him and fill in as much as he could, and he, 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 he almost killed himself doing it. But again, they began to see you need to get caring again. We need to get caring again. And they began to do that. And that's something that's praiseworthy. Something that's praiseworthy. I will tell you this. Spiritual burnout will happen if you do not think about what is worth thinking about and if you do not give praise with what you are thinking about. You will burn out. You will be left a smoldering pile of spiritual ashes. And this is why I'm constantly... Constantly saying, we've got to change the way we think. If we don't, somebody else might suffer. Epaphroditus did. Paul missed out on a few things. Notice he was, he's not beating them up over it. He's praising God that they started again doesn't hold it over their head of what they did. doesn't say, oh man, you people, you're just a bunch of lazy, no good, such and such. No, he says, I rejoice greatly. I rejoice in the Lord greatly. And notice what he says about the care. It's flourishing. It's flourishing. Sometimes we get caught in this uh, humdrum life of, like I said, just it's the same thing, different day. You know, same thing, different day, same thing, different day. And we just get in, in, in in that rut of our thinking processes. And what begins to happen is the tree with which we're supposed to bear fruit, it's not flourishing. There might be a piece of fruit here. There might be a piece of fruit there. But there's just something wrong. But now, their tree is flourishing. And this is the way that the Christian life is supposed to be. When, when, when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us with that fruit, the seed of the Word of God, and we bear that fruit, and we give that back out to someone else, not for ourselves, but for others, because the fruit is never a benefit of the tree that yields it. We give that to someone else. There's a flourishing that's there. It's a healthy tree. It's a healthy tree. 
I want you to turn to one passage. You turn over to Psalm chapter 1. And I just want you to see this. Psalm chapter 1, it's a familiar familiar psalm. You may even have it memorized. We'll end with this. Psalm chapter 1. says in verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. By the way, all of those things happen when we don't have the right thought processes. It says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, talking about the word of God, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Generally, the peace that we're missing, generally the thought processes that we're having issues with are missing because the word of God has not been applied. The word of God is not present in our life. And in verse 3, it says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water and bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Flourish. That's the Christian life that that, that we're supposed to lead. Not a dead tree but a flourishing tree. And this is what he was excited about. They're flourishing again. There was a period where that, 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 that wasn't there, but it's back. And he's excited about it. He's rejoicing that God has done a work in their hearts to cause them to stop and go, we need to start caring again. We really need to change the way we think. And Paul's like, let me give you the tools of how to do that. The next week we'll pick up, Lord willing, um, talking a little bit more about this in verse uh, <clears throat> verse 11. But uh, it, it's interesting to see about the giving of self. The mind of Christ was a giving mind. For God so loved the world that he gave that he gave he didn't just let us go and be in some deistic thing about not letting us you know get in into heaven or anything of that nature no he he gave he willingly gave and that's something that we as christians need to mirror in our life let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer dear heavenly father again i thank you for this time thank you again for an opportunity lord to just uh, be in your word, to uh, hear what you have for us. Lord, to see the examples that we see with uh, these individuals uh, in the church at Philippi. And I pray, Lord, that you would just give us the mindset and the thought that, Lord, we would please you and honor you, that, Lord, we would follow through with what you've given to us to think about, that, Lord, we would do also what we have learned and what we have received, what we've heard and what we've seen, that, Lord, our actions would ple- be pleasing and honoring unto you. And these things I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.